la bestialidad imperialista. Bestialidad que no tiene una frontera determinada ni pertenece a un país determinado. Bestias fueron las hordas hitleristas, como bestias son los norteamericanos hoy, como bestias son los paracaidistas belgas, como bestias fueron los imperialistas franceses en Argelia. Porque es la naturaleza del imperialismo la que bestializa a los hombres, la que la convierte en fieras sedientas de sangre que están dispuestas a degollar, a asesinar, a destruir hasta la última imagen de un revolucionario, de un partidario de un régimen que haya caído bajo su bota o que luche por su libertad. Y la estatua que recuerda Lumumba, hoy destruida, pero mañana reconstruida... This is the voice of Che Guevara, speaking to the UN in 1964, at the height of his popularity. Listeners may not understand his words, but the tone surely invokes the passion and power he carried. Since then, Che has become something of an icon. He's on t-shirts and hats, memorialized in songs and posters. He is seen as revolution itself, the voice of the underdog. And he's handsome. With his youth and his charming presence, Che is loved all over the world. But who really knows Che? When people like Che and, say, Frida Kahlo move from being a person to an icon to even a brand, their true identity is lost, and what they represented at the time morphs into how people want to see them and adopt them to fit their own views. This was one of the challenges Steven Soderbergh faced when he made Che, his epic film about the revolutionary who freed Cuba from a dictatorship and failed at doing the same for Bolivia. Soderbergh did not want to make a romantic movie about Che, the icon, but wanted to show two very specific events in Che's life, and through that disclosed the challenges and the unglamorous experience of revolution. Thus, the real Che is revealed away from the T-shirts and the songs. Che is a film in two parts. Part one shows Che, played by Benicio del Toro, agreeing to partake in revolution with Fidel Castro. We see them gather troops and take over the country, seizing power from then-dictator Batista and changing Cuba into a communist country, a regime that is still standing today. Che part two takes us into the jungles of Bolivia, where Che attempts to create a second revolution, but fails and is killed in the end. The two parts are quite different from each other, but they're united by one single powerful element. That being a revolutionary is not about being a hero and being immortalized, but it's about attempting to make serious change at great cost to your own life. My name is Tani Katenjian. This is Sight Unseen. As usual, Sight Unseen speaks with artists of all different mediums, looking at the underbelly of their work, exploring what drives them to make such public works about private curiosities and how their work reflects the human condition. In this show, the voice of Academy Award-winning director Steven Soderbergh, speaking about his most recent film, Che, which is in theaters in the U.S. and the U.K. Here, Soderbergh explains what he wanted to include in the film and what he didn't. Please stay tuned.
the issue was the the amount of material available about him and on him and then we added to that with a series of interviews um, with people that knew him so it's a massive at that point it's a massive editing job you've got to decide what part of his life to tell and and what what is your criteria for including something or excluding something and a lot of it was driven initially by exclusion what what don't we want to do what kind of scenes don't we want to have what do we what do we want to avoid and i was certainly trying to avoid the traps of the biographical film the first one being trying to tell too much of the story cover too long a period of time because then you can't go into detail about anything so once we determined we wanted to go you know narrow and deep instead of broad and shallow that that began to you know force us to focus on certain periods and i was really drawn to the jungle stuff i just was i felt there must be a reason that that he kept going back into the jungle on two occasions he left a wife and his family to go into the jungle to sort of start over and um i figured there must be a reason that's that's obviously a priority so i started focusing on on the two campaigns cuba and bolivia there's a fascinating episode in the congo that we weren't able to get into but in in many ways it was kind of a dry run for bolivia it didn't go very well and they had similar problems hmm. is there I mean, is there anything in your life, um, as as you as a person, Steven Soderbergh, that would drive you to leave your family and leave the comforts of your home to do something? Not necessarily start a revolution, but to do something. Well, I do it in bursts, you know, and Che was one of those. You know, I left for a while and went to the jungle with a lot of other people trying to do something. So... it's people who 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 work in this part of the entertainment industry have these issues you're you're gone a lot and you're separated a lot and it's it's a it's it can be a difficult thing to navigate because sometimes the impression can be on the part of people around you that you don't care as much about them as you do your job and it's it's i think appropriate even when that's true to say that it's not But in Chase case because he was sort of a, a compulsive truth teller he explained very clearly to the people around him and to his especially to his both his wives but especially his second wife Aleda who he met in Cuba um look the part of the deal is that you know my priorities are being a revolutionary and there's some interesting letters that he wrote to her when he was in the Congo telling her not to be so emotional because this is this is the deal and you knew what you were getting into I told you what you were getting into so he was he was pretty hard that way and you have to be well, I think it was hard in a, in in a lot of ways which we don't necessarily um you know get us get a a deep sense of of how we see how determined he was but we don't see him in any sort of tyrannical or extremely bossy or he just, he comes across not as a soft person but especially for Benicio del Toro who has this capacity to be such 
extreme characters. There was a certain s- subdued sense to him, which I, I which I imagine is in the direction. I mean, obviously. Yeah, but it also came out of it also came out of the research. I mean, the the a lot of the scenes in the films are the result of interviews that we did with people who were there, and you know we asked them a lot of questions about Shay's affect, like what 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 would be his tone here? Would he would he be how close to you would he be? Would he be standing or sitting? Would he, you know, we were trying to get a real read on how he, he related to people in an intimate one-on-one situation or in a situation where, for instance, he's disciplining someone. And, and all I can tell you is what is in the film is what we got back you know, from these questions. And we got, uh, Benicio got forwarded an email from someone in Cuba who fought with Che for the last year of the Cuban Revolution and whose character is portrayed and he's in the movie. He he sent this email to Benicio saying, I've seen the film three times now and I, and I was next to him for a year and I just want to send you my congratulations because that is exactly what he was like to me. And I think for, for Benicio that was a really nice note to get because of course that's what we were worried about and this this is a guy I you know I won't out him um, but this is someone who would have known like was literally right next to him for a year and so that that sort of confirmed our sense of him being uh, charismatic without necessarily being warm yeah and I, and I, I, I also must have been a comp- such a compliment for you to hear that because you know this is a different film for you than um, the you know your repertoire of films, and it must have been interesting to sort of take this journalistic role, even though it's not a biography, so to speak. You are being a journalist and doing that sort of research, an interesting kind of journalist, but a journalist n- nonetheless. I'd sort of been through that a little bit on traffic in terms of just the research, like researching a subject and talking to a lot of people. And then on Aaron Brockovich, you know, I was dealing with an actual character, a, a real person, but who wasn't famous, so there wasn't that layer of responsibility. Um, in this case, I was lucky because I knew so little about him, and since I'm not Latino, I really didn't have an angle that I was looking to confirm. So uh, he he came across pretty pretty directly and i felt like i understood at least part of what it was like to be out in the middle of nowhere with a group of people trying to do something and and having it not always go the way you wanted but being responsible being the person who's responsible for the direction of the campaign that that i can understand a little bit and also there's been, I think, if you looked at, at some of the other films that I've made, they tend to share these characters who feel that through sheer force of will they can make things turn out a certain way. Um, that, that idea sort of returned over and over again. And it rarely happens for them. Or if it does, it happens briefly. And, and Che is another example of that, you know. And part of the... 
part of what makes the Bolivian campaign so so hard to watch is his belief that another miracle was going to take place. And his, I don't know where this came from, his sort of inability to see the way, the significant ways in which Bolivia was not like Cuba and could never be like Cuba. The most obvious being he didn't have a Fidel. He didn't have an indigenous leader that the Bolivians looked upon as a legitimate alternative to Barrientos. You know, when they, when those guys got on the grandma and took the boat from Mexico to Cuba, Fidel was already famous. He'd already staged the Moncada barracks raid. He'd been in jail for two years in Cuba. And then he was exiled by Batista. He was a rock star already. I think Che, part of Che thought he would be that guy in Bolivia. And he really underestimated the attitude that a lot of Bolivians had toward foreigners. And so in retrospect, there were, there were a lot of signs along the way that any normal person would have taken as a cue to get out. And he just couldn't do it. He couldn't get out. One of the reasons I included that letter that he wrote to Fidel at the front of the film was to make you understand he couldn't go home. And so when he says early on in the film, I'm either going to win here or die, you know, that's not something that he says lightly. Or says lightly to his, you know, to his soldiers that you have to live as if you're, you're dead already. That also is not a light statement. It was great to include that. Well, and that's, that's in a small way, I feel like it's, it's kind of the approach you have to have to art as well. You have to kind of, when you make something... You, you have to go in sort of assuming the worst in terms of what people will think about it so that you can then forget what people are going to say. And I've been lucky in that for whatever reason, um, I've always been a process person. It's the process of making it that interests me. And then when they're done, they're kind of done. And I don't, what, what people say about them doesn't really have much of an effect because they not, it doesn't, if, you may, if I make Che and someone comes out and slams it, it doesn't rearrange the pixels. The movie is what it is. It is what we did. So it doesn't really matter to me. I know it affects potentially the commercial performance of the movie, but the thing itself doesn't change, so it doesn't really matter. And, and it's not that I think you shouldn't keep in mind the fact that making a movie is a very public art form. They're not, you're not showing it in a closet like you want people to go, but... I'm not willing to do anything in order to get a response out of people. You know, I won't violate what I think the ethos of the piece is in order to get a rise out of people. So when people say about Che, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of cold. Um, and I didn't cheer at the end of the first one. I didn't cry at the end of the second one. Uh, you know, my attitude is, yeah, I wasn't trying to make you do that. That's not what we were up to. You know, it's it's... I'm just trying to show you what his life was like. I'm not, uh, I'm not confusing it with like a real life situation that you probably should cry about or cheer about. And I, you know, I think that's actually the really the strength of it. Well, you know, here's my opinion on it. <laughs> and now that it's said and done, and actually, what you just were talking about yesterday, I was walking and I was thinking, you know, why do we care about people's perceptions of X, Y, or Z? 
And when we have a particular conviction, what does the, what do those perceptions? Why do those perceptions affect it? Or you know, they, if you if you know what you've done, then well, again, you've got to you've got to determine in which situations people's opinions and perceptions matter and have an effect on the issue, and in which ones they don't. In a political situation, you know, your opinions and your perceptions are really crucial because, in our case, you have the ability to vote and and express what you think. And your your opinion may alter the outcome of a certain situation and result in, you know, the society looking different. That's important. Again, in the case of a piece of art, nothing you say changes the piece itself. So to me, it's just a different level of, of relevance. And so I take, you know, as we've seen in the last couple of years, I take people's political opinions and perspectives very seriously because I know there's a very tangible result from what they feel and what they think. I can't say the same about a movie or a book or a TV show or a piece of music or a dance or something. That Those things just are what they are. Well, I th- to, to get back to what I first started saying, what I think is the strength of the film is that you don't walk away cheering or crying or you know, with these extreme emotions, because Che, the the brand of Che, comes with all of that. And after seeing the first part, and the fir- part one and part two are quite different from each other. They are kind of their own films. I thought to myself, well, this is a great film about Che, but it's also a great film about how one starts a revolution and what revolution actually is. I mean, that must have been part of what you wanted, or your vision, I guess. I certainly wanted to divest people of the idea that it's a romantic endeavor to to be a revolutionary. I really wanted them to get a sense of how how physically hard it is to do what they did. I can't imagine somebody coming out the other end of watching this thing going, boy, do I want to <laughs> grab a gun and go off into the jungle. You know, it's really, it's not a joke, you know, and most of it is, is um, grunt work, you know, and it's not, it's, it's exciting in sort of bursts, but a lot of it is kind of uh, tedious in a way. That, that sense of what it was like was coming back to me from these interviews in asking people just to, we would ask every one of them just like, describe, okay, We'd pick a month or where there was, it just a describe a day to me, starting with you get up in the morning. Just tell me what a day would be like during this month when you guys were here. And that's where a lot of the scenes in the film came from. Because that stuff, to, that, to me, that stuff's interesting. So the movie doesn't operate on this typical sort of set up and pay off structure. You know what I mean? It's, it, really is, it really is a process film about what's required to stage, you know, guerrilla warfare. And a lot of people have a different expectation of it, and they want him explained somehow. And uh, I I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you explain anybody, really. Especially someone that is, you know, so that they're not really, like in the way in which I started this interview, they're not really... A person anymore, you know. They're they're the reflection of so many projections from so many people that you know adore, think about, 
perceive this person. So you really can't describe it because you'd be ha- having to describe everybody else too that projects upon them. Certainly in this case, more than any other project I've been involved with, people bring a very personal idea into the theater when they see this. I mean, it's it's been clear from the reactions in all directions that, that just people have a very, everyone has this really personal idea of Che and what he means. And I know that that might be frustrating then to see the, a movie done in this format. I can only think of the advice that I gave my daughter when she started dating, which was, if you really want to know what the person's about that you're dealing with, just turn the sound off and analyze what they do. Forget about what they say. Because what somebody does tells you what they want. And that was my attitude about Che, that, that if, I just, if I showed you what he did, then what he's about should be really clear. Because people don't, people tend, whatever they may say, they tend to do what they want to do. And it says something about him that this is what he wanted to do, that, that he went to Cuba initially. And then after being in a position where he could kind of write his own ticket for the rest of his life, decided to pick up again and start over and go back into the jungle. That, to me, tells you everything you need to know about who he was and what he was about. But that's, you know, that's me. I want to get to something that you were saying in just a moment ago about sort of the tediousness of of being a revolutionary. There's these bursts of, of excitement, but, you know, ultimately it's kind of lots of... Marching. Yeah, <laughs> lots of marching. And I wanted to see how you, f- you know, do you identify that with that as a filmmaker? You know, I told people I was going to be interviewing you, and there's all this excitement, or you're going to interview Steven Soderbergh. must be so exciting to be Steven Soderbergh. And, um, yeah, so, you know, you must have identified with it in that way as well. I, identif- I, I certainly identified with the, the sort of ratio of excitement to to. I don't know if boredom's the right word, but inactivity. It's very, very similar to making a movie. You really, there's a lot of kind of discussion and and process, and then you get these short bursts of of things happening that are that are hopefully exciting. And again, I think that's probably part of the reason why I kept being drawn to the jungle part because at least. You know, at least I understood that that feeling a little. And then, of course, when we found out that he'd gone to New York to speak to the UN, I felt like, oh, well, that's a junket. Like, I know what a junket feels like. He's there doing a junket, and he's selling Cuba, basically. So I, I had no problem getting excited about that. <laughs> and it was also an important counterpoint for Cuba to be able to go back and forth to New York solved a couple of problems for us. One was it was an opportunity for him to express his ideology in a way that's totally organic and real. That's why he was there, was to talk about Cuba and what they were doing. The other thing was it enabled us, when we went into New York and came out of it, to make these sort of leaps in the narrative in Cuba. You could, you, you know what I mean? You could come back and skip forward, and it was really helpful in storytelling terms. And I love the idea of the, like the black and white, the sort of concrete of Manhattan. Every time you cut to that after being in the jungle, you know, it was just a nice juxtaposition. So I thought that would be fun. He was, you know, also you know, December 64, absolutely at the peak of his fame and notoriety. 
I mean, at that point. And for him to go to New York, which really is the belly of the beast for him, that, that was just too good an opportunity to pass up. And we had access to a couple of people who were with him on the trip. And we got lots of really interesting detail that you see in the movie about just little scenes of him interacting with people that were all based on these interviews we did. Well, you know, like you, I didn't know much about Che. Um, so I take it you did not have a poster of him as a child or no T-shirts, anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't come with it to, with my own. But, you know, I thought that you might have because what an undertaking to, to make such an epic film. So why did you want to do it? I mean, everyone asks that, I'm sure. But it's, it's the longest film of yours. And I mean, I don't know if what length has to, you know, there are people write epic novels and can't end them. Maybe that, and that's not always great. You know, length, it doesn't necessarily mean much, except it shows us a high level of work. So I don't know. I just am curious deeply why. Well, I can't tell you that I wanted to make it, but I can tell you that I felt I had to make it. It would I, I never would have made it if Laura Bickford and Benicio Del Toro during Traffic hadn't suggested that I get involved. It never would have occurred to me to make it. And and I knew even as I was saying, yeah, that's yeah, sure, that sounds interesting. I had a feeling it was going to be a really ugly process getting this thing done. I just knew it. But I felt I had to, I just felt like I had to say yes. The only thing worse than the experience of making it would have been watching someone else make it. And so I came out the other end of it feeling, well, if I can survive that, then everything else is easy. You know, that that's, that's the most difficult thing I've been through on every level and it didn't kill me. So I guess everything from here on out is, is easier. So there's something to be said for that. But my relation to it is different than my relation to any other film I've made. Because like I said, there was more, it, was, it, it felt more like an obligation than a desire. So the difficulties being in the jungle, the length, having to really get to know this person, you know, I, I would imagine those are several of them. Being away from your family, I'm sure, is, is another one of them, or I imagine it is. We see how Che navigates that in his life. How do you navigate it in your life? Anybody who does this for a living is, is sort of, it's like being in the circus. And I just think that people, the people that end up close to you um, know that being around the circus isn't all oohs and ahs and like amazing trapeze acts. There's also like cleaning up after the elephant. And, and you know, it's just kind of part of the deal. And, and people get used to it. In the case of someone like my daughter, she's been around this her whole life. She just knows that's the, the deal, you know, that I go away and that I'm out of touch for a while and then I'm in touch. And, and that's, that's all she's ever known. And so she doesn't take it personally and doesn't view it as it doesn't view it as me being an absentee parent it's just my job and fortunately she doesn't really view it with any more uh, excitement than she does dentistry or plumbing I think because she's been around it a lot so and also I don't know I think there there will come a time where I'll just stop you know, and it won't be an issue anymore. I can see that. 
I mean, can you see that any time? I mean, how, someone yesterday asked a question, uh, someone staying at our house asked a question, is there a way for an artist to visualize their success? Not, not desire their success, but actually see the end of their success. So you're saying you're kind of visual, you can visualize the, not the end of success, but the end of your career. Do you think there's an answer to that question? Can, you vis can one visualize that? I think that depends on why you're making stuff, what your motivation is for making stuff. But I certainly feel I'm, I'm much closer to stopping than, I, than I am to the beginning. Those were the words of Academy Award-winning director Steven Soderbergh, speaking about his most recent film, Che, which runs over four hours and should be playing in theaters near you. For more information, just look it up online and make sure to include Soderbergh's name, otherwise a myriad of sites will just come up of Che himself. My name is Sonny Katenjin. This is Sight Unseen, a weekly program that speaks with artists of all different mediums to uncover the unseen aspects of their work, exploring the ways in which they see the world. You're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM, the UK's first radio art station.